Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Well, when will you be back, Gavin? I'm living in a Jimmy Buffett song. I've been drunk for two weeks. I don't know how much more I can take. The following podcast contains... Mr. Strickland, Bobby used some language last night that he said he got from you. Can't use the type of language that you use. I just don't understand why people feel the need to use that kind of language. Don't ever use that kind of language again. Do you hear me? But he doesn't have to use that kind of language. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. Instead of writing a new episode, you closed out the year with a clip show? What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Saturday, December 29th, 2018, Reeling in the Year edition of the show, where we look back in horror on the year that was, 2018. Stay tuned. The What the Hell You Thinking podcast is brought to you by 1974, The Last Time Shit Was This Bad. Were you thinking 2018 was bad? 1974 wants you to know it could be so much worse. Ted Bundy is on the loose. Patty Hearst is kidnapped. The oil embargo begins. There was the largest tornado outbreak in recorded history. The Cleveland Indians hosted 10-cent beer night. MLK's mom was murdered in a church. Evil Knievel crashed into the Snake River Canyon. A newsreader shot herself live in the head on the air. Nixon resigns. Ford pardoned Nixon. And the Milgram experiment began. So if you think times are bad now, 1974 is here to remind you that they can always get worse. I mean, hey, at least Ted Bundy's dead. A Clip Show is an episode of a television series that consists primarily of excerpts from previous episodes, and it was expected for any successful comedy series to feature clip shows regularly in its later years. However, the episodes were subject to some ridicule due to their forced or corny framing devices and the frequently awkward transitions between the frame story and the clips, such as characters staring into space while the screen blurs to represent remembering. A show might also diffuse the awkwardness by indulging in self-parody, explicitly acknowledging or intentionally overplaying the device. As this episode goes up, we've got just a few days left in 2018, meaning that despite the madness of a tiny-fingered megalomaniacal moron, the world somehow managed to survive. Though, in the few hours remaining, there's still plenty of time for Individual One to launch a nuclear strike against San Francisco or have his law bitch in the Justice Department order the arrest of every Democrat in D.C. But that's pretty unlikely, so you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say... Looks like we made it! This low-rated podcast has also, against all odds, the protestation of our, protestations of our network and just good sense survived. It's not too late to change the outcome. We did things a little differently this year than what I'd done previously. I had this revelation in early 2007 or 2018 that uh, I'm in a really dark space. And that made, made the show really dark. So I tried to pull the nose up on the tone and make it lighter, more playful and not so goddamn morose and angry. I like to think I succeeded in changing the tone, or at least I directed that anger in a more you know, beneficial direction. I guess that's for you, the listener, to decide. The three of you who stuck with us all year, Gavin will be sending out your loyal listener cards, except you, CJ. CJ, who chose a silly contest over meekly surrendering to an obvious and frankly petty joke of which I remain inordinately proud. And all of this brings us to the 192nd episode in our regular feed. It's not 192 episodes, I'm not counting special editions, reruns, and that one musical number we did but decided not to post because Gavin's singing voice was too good and it made me look small and inadequate. Yeah. Well, it really wasn't that hard. Since the Minions are still off on their holiday breaks, I went with a clip show rather than a full-on rerun, meaning you get about 10% new content, so it sounds like I did some work, but really I just sit around the studio in my underwear and watch Fraser reruns on Netflix. Oh, what fresh hell is this? <laughs> Still, if you haven't heard them, or 
aren't a religious listener to the back catalog, CJ. They are new to you. <laughs> and you might be reminded of this hellish year that we've all managed to so far make it through. So without further ado or fluff, I'm going to lean back in my chair and stare off into space and give you 2018 a look back in horror and disgust. January of last year found your humble host with a vicious bug that in reality should have kept him from recording at all, but due to copious amounts of alcohol and small amount of brain cells, I recorded anyway. There were three stories we covered in January and the aforementioned revelation. The first story was about Steve Bannon being booted out of the White House. Remember that? <laughs> Less funny was our take on Aziz Asari's brush with me too. Isn't it strange how that turned out? Like the guy who did the least objectionable thing is the one that handled it the best? I I'm digressing, obviously. But I think we'll remember January 2018 best for its weather, because that's when a storm blew into town in the form of a milfy blonde sex worker whose tale we was finally able to be told. We learned the last week in January something that we will never, ever be able to unlearn, and we all have to live with that knowledge now. From this point on, everything you will be hearing will be from Daniel's account to In Touch magazine. Quote, He invited me to come over. He told me to come up and meet him in his room. He told me his room number and whatnot. I went in. I was all dressed up because I just assumed we were going to go to dinner. But he meant to have dinner in his room. Like he wasn't dressed to go out at all, just lounging. I remember taking a jab at him. I remember saying, because he was all sprawled out on the couch watching television or something, he was wearing pajama pants. You don't have to do this. He kept showing me he was on the cover of a magazine that had just come out. It was some sort of money magazine. I, I wish I could remember which one it was, but he had it in the room and he kept showing it to me. And I was like, dude, I know who you are. He was trying to sell me, I guess. When I came out, he was sitting on the bed and he was like, come here. And I was like, oh, here we go. And we started kissing. Okay, I, I think I'm gonna stop. So anyway, the sex was nothing crazy. He wasn't like, chain me to the bed or anything. It, it was one position I can definitely describe as junk perfectly, if I ever have to. Please don't! Did we use protection? No. Only sailors use condoms, baby. The sex was textbook generic. It wasn't like, oh my god, I love you. He wasn't Fabio or anything. He wasn't trying to have, like, porn sex. I don't know how much more of this I can take. He's obsessed with sharks terrified of sharks. He was like, I donate to all these charities, but I would never donate to any charity that helps sharks. I hope all sharks die. He was like riveted. He was like obsessed. He was so strange. I know. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes. Black eyes. Like a doll's eye. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. Those black eyes roll over white, and then, oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. He bragged about his daughter quite a bit, though. He was very proud of her, which is nice. He told me once that I was someone to be reckoned with. I was beautiful and smart, just like his daughter. She is smart and beautiful, so I guess that's a compliment. He did not say that. Yeah. He didn't say that. And finally... We have this sick performance. Even the first person to get Stormy Daniels, we up. Oh, God. We turn to an article from Mother Jones Magazine. The published a story relating this mind worm, which has been consuming my brain for the past week. In an email sent to Andrea Dubay, a Democratic political consultant based in New Orleans, there was a response in which Dubay expressed surprise that Daniels was friendly with Trump. Quote, Donald Trump, she said, in her cell phone. Yep, another consultant reply? She says one time he made her sit with him for three hours watching Shark Week. And another time he had her... Spake him with a Forbes magazine. 
a fall 2006 cover of Forbes magazine does feature Trump with his two children, Donald and Ivanka. Oh, 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 God. Please, Kathy, please. There are moments in history that we will all remember where we were and what we were doing. Of course, Kennedy's assassination, the explosion of the Challenger, 9-11, and of course, where we were when we learned that Trump liked to be spanked with a rolled-up magazine with his face and his kids on the cover. Oh, God. Oh, oh I still can't say it without gagging. Oh. Come February, we introduced you to Devin Nunez, who somehow is still in con- Congress. I don't know how this is. What is going on with you, Fresno? They smell that shit up in Fresno. And they like how it smells. But there are shows in this February about the Parkland shooting and how the kids who stood up post-Parkland just might save the future. And those were good, happy shows. But I don't want to focus on those. I, I want this to be a light recap. So I chose the show about Trump's aborted military parade and why no one, especially the troops, wanted anything to do with it. Speaking of marchers... Let me tell you a secret the Pentagon doesn't want you to know. The troops fucking hate marching in those goddamn parades. Is a gigantic pain in my ass. I had the honor of marching in a parade during my time in the service. You wanna know how I got that honor? Honest to God, it was a fucking punishment. I'm not kidding. I and about 40 other people selected all shared one thing in common. We were fuck-ups. The annoyances. The burrs in the saddle of the commander of our squadron. And he paid us back by fortune us to march in a fucking parade. Karma's a bitch. So every weekday for a month preceding the parade, I and a few hundred of my fellow fuck-ups... I'm guessing the other squadrons detailed their fuck-ups to the duty as well. We would gather on the flight line for two hours in the afternoon to practice marching, and not one damn one of us had marched a step since basic fucking training, and let me tell you, it showed. I had to strip all the shit off my dress blues uniform, which I never wore, and then I had to send that shit to the cleaner and then put all those fucking ribbons and gigaws back on. And I didn't remember where any of them went. I had to go fucking digging around for a manual. This wasn't in the years where we had a fucking internet. I had to go fucking get a manual to look how to put my shit back on. My God, this was so annoying. What I should have done was taken a Polaroid before I sent it to the fucking cleaners. And then, then we had to fucking wash the and wax all the vehicles in the parade, including the armored ones. They had us wax an armored truck. Then we all got in buses and rode for two hours to some shithole town in the Central Valley of California in goddamn July, where it was 95 degrees in the shade, and then stand around for hours in our dressed fucking blues, including that Wool fucking coat, drenched and we were drenched in sweat before we took a single step. What? And when we did start marching, we wound up slow walking down the main drag of fucking Turlock, California, in the midday sun, while someone too befarted their way ahead of us, and we were following fucking clowns dressed like doughboys from World War One. We, active duty military, followed fucking clowns. Fucking ridiculous clown show. All this to entertain about 200 people total, because Turlock, California, is the zit on the rim of the asshole of California. Then, we got back on the bus, which had no air conditioning, by the way, for the two-hour trip back to work, where I had to fucking work a midnight shift that night because, and I quote you, had six hours to sleep between the time I got back and between my time my shift started. Man, you must have really pissed somebody off. Oh, I I did. It It was a gift I had. We celebrated three years of podcasting in March. And then we talked about how Satanists are infiltrating the alt-right. I even did a show about how much I love guns. But March gave us a gift that kept on giving all year in the form of the craziest ideas we've ever grown to love. The Space Force! I think all these negative Nellies are just being short-sighted. I mean, we've been here before. Back in the early days of the space race, the black humor answer to what we would find on the moon when we arrived was universally... Russians. Now them Ruskies are claiming they're gonna beat us to Mars. I mean, even friend of Trump Vladimir Putin says that Russia will beat NASA to Mars, find water, discover the alien artifacts that will terraform the, the Mars into a paradise, and there will be nothing Cohagen and his goons can do to stop them. See at the party, Richter! We need Space Force to stop this. 
And of course, all those Arcalian battle fleets. Look, kid, to keep the bugs from getting it, the Arcalians will destroy that galaxy. And whatever planet it's on. You're talking about us. <laughs> Sucks, huh? Honestly, this Space Force idea is no laughing matter. It's kind of funny. Is it? You think so? Son, we live in a world that has space, and space has got to be guarded by men with laser blasters. Who's going to do it? You? You, snarky reporter man? President Trump has a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Rex Tillerson, and you curse the Galactic Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Rex Tillerson's firing, while incredibly funny, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth, because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me in space. You need me in space. We use words like bigly, beautiful, and greatest. We use these words as a backbone of a life spent grifting and stealing. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that Space Force provides and then questions the manner in which Space Force provides it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a phased plasma rifle and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you're entitled to. That episode is possibly the favorite one I've ever done. That few good men knockoff is the funniest thing I ever wrote. No one was laughing. <laughs> well, it still makes me laugh to this day, all right? And in the end, that's what this show's about. In April, we talked about Michael Cohen and his eventual fall from respected member of the legal profession to petty crook arranging hush money payments for a dipshit adulterer. Who knew Michael Cohen was going to be the key to unlocking the corruption that every one individual one was involved in? Pretty much everyone. We talked about our love of radio and how I was wanted to be a DJ. We even took a run at incels, which was fun, but not something I wanted to do again. So I settled on the episode that I'm sure I will never get a job at Amazon and while I'll eventually lose my Prime account once and for all. And as for Jeff Bezos, everything that I've read about him says he's a hyper-competitive, acquisitive asshole. This is a guy that had to take a class on how not to be an asshole just so he could keep his employees. And his litany of little pet phrases for people that work for him are fucking bizarre. Here are just a few of his gems. Um, are you lazy or, or, or are you just incompetent? I, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, 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 didn't, I didn't take my pi stupid pills today. If I hear that idea again, I'm gonna have to kill myself. Why are you wasting my life? Um, things my mom used to tell me in grade school. According to many sources, Bezos drove himself and his family to get Amazon off the ground, working 100 plus hours a week every week while building the company, all the while being pretty much a huge dick. And look, I work for a veterinarian that will read keenly demeaned and insulted his staff at every chance he got, to the point that he came very close to a prime delivery of my fist in his fucking face. And this motherfucker was no Bezos. He was an egotistical prick who ran a one-doctor practice because no one else would hire him. Assholes are at every walk of life and at all levels of success. There's no reason to believe Jeff Bezos is any better or worse than anyone else. I mean, fuck. People venerate Steve Jobs, and that motherfucker was a class one prick with a toppy and a shitty human being. There are those who say all great men must be assholes to succeed. And that is why I am so tough on producer Gavin. I just want this show to be the best low-rated podcast on the internet. And if I have to ride Gavin like the spavine nag he is, then by God, that's what I'm going to do. Fuck you, Dave. Uh, you're my worst friend. In May, we talked artificial intelligence, the White House correspondence dinner kerfuffle, and the wedding industrial complex. But in what is now an ongoing story, we turned the lens on white people calling the cops on black people for no other reasons than being in a place while black. What white nonsense was that? 
This story has become kind of a national conversation since then because we name and shame all the barbecue Becky's Pool Patrol Paulas in America. And this is what we had to say about it back in May. You know what? I have some sympathy. I truly do because fucking white people are the absolute worst. In the past few weeks, the problem of white fear has been in the news quite a bit because thanks to the action of just a few terrible white people, roughly 60 million or so of them who voted for an anthropomorphic tanning bed. Yeah, white people invented that have raised the tensions in this country. And one of the side effects of president by white people for white people is a lot more well-meaning white people are paying attention now. So yay for us, I guess. But here, here is just a short list of reasons that law-abiding black folks have had the cops call them in recent weeks. Black women golfing too slow. They were called twice. Golfing too slow. Is it possible to golf too slow. And a boring game. Boring game for boring people. You ever watch golf on television? It's like watching flies fuck. Sitting in a Starbucks without buying coffee. If sitting in a Starbucks without purchasing a cup of their shitty charcoal flavored coffee is a crime, I expect to see paddy wagons outside every single one of the borough of Manhattan immediately. In the rare case of Expanded Horizons, a pair of Native American teens touring a college campus had the cops called on them because they skeeved out a white lady. Oh, here's another one. Taking your luggage out of your Airbnb. And I swear, this is true. The reason that they got the cops called on them is because they didn't wave back at the noisy neighbor. I guess they must have been living next door to Gladys Kravitz. There's something very strange about her. Gladys, will you stop? No, Gladys never stops. That's what makes her funny, I guess. Except, you know, when she's calling the cops on you. Oh, here's one. Making a purchase at Nordstrom Rack, which... Implies questionable taste in clothing, but it's definitely not criminal behavior. Oh, there's another one. Performing a house inspection with the legal paperwork after he told the neighbor what he was doing and showed her the paperwork. But of course, my hands down favorite is sleeping in the dorm room common area. I was a campus cop for four years. If I arrested people for sleeping in a dorm lounge, the university would be out of students in about a week. And this was just in the past few weeks. It's not a new phenomenon. Remember back in 2009? God, those were good days. But even then, Harvard professor Louis Gates was arrested for trying to enter his own house on campus. President Obama invited Professor Gates and the cop up to the White House to have a beer and talk it over. And how did that work out? Not well. When I was an Air Force cop back in the 90s, we had callers that we knew by name. We would even call them over the radio. Hey, uh, Brenda called. Was an actual radio dispatch every patrol officer knew, and we knew that that meant Brenda saw a black guy. This was on an Air Force base. We had black people there. White people love to call the cops. For us, it's like asking to see a manager when we're unhappy with the number of horsey sauce packets we received with our Arby's order. I'm going to speak to a manager. And I want to say in defense of my male sapien brothers and sisters that calling the cops is not an explicitly racist thing to do, like burning a cross or voting for a candidate who repeatedly says and does racist things, because we happily call the cops on each other when mildly inconvenienced by something or another that a white person does, like letting their dog shit on our lawn. For most of us, calling the cops is what we're supposed to do. It's genetic passive aggressivism, cultural tattletaling that goes back to the days when we would run to the village priest to report a witch, hexed our milk cow, and we're pretty sure we should burn Edna Apple at the stake. White people possess an instinctive need to dominate other white people in a way that can't be traced back directly to us because we wouldn't want things to be uncomfortable in the neighborhood. White people are crazy. I promise you that lady that called the cops on the barbecue in Oakland was not being overtly racist. She was just doing what white people do. Being passive aggressive. She was being complicitly racist because she couldn't recognize her privilege. Do you want to know when black people call the cops? When they've exhausted every other possibility of dealing with the search situation. If a person of color calls the cops. But let's just say some shit is going down. Shots are being fired. People are getting their ass kicked. The cork, the orcs are way over the wall and they're inside the city because they know a very simple truth that when the cops show up in a minority neighborhood, someone is going to jail and it could be them. They also, that the cop, when the cops show up in a black neighborhood, somebody could get killed and it could be them. Why do they know this? They see it every fucking day. 
June brought us Roseanne's meteoric rise and just as meteoric fall due to an ambient induced racist tweet, which was neither I'm the envious or just out of the normal for fucking Roseanne. I ran it about civility for some reason, because let's face it, I'm not the most civilized of show. And of course, the government stole children's and put them in kitty concentration camps for a couple of months, which was the top story of the month. But for some reason, a lot of people were way more upset about the time that Samantha Bee called Ivanka Trump a feckless cunt, which, by the way, Ivanka Trump totally is. I said it! Oh, I said it again! And what followed was a week-long news cycle about calling Ivanka a feckless cunt, which she is. Yeah, I said it. Some stereotypes are based in fact. Rather than kids being stolen from their parents by the United States government. Fuck, I don't know how that shit happens. Press secretary and noted reckless stunt Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, quote, The collective silence by the left and its media allies is appalling. Her disgusting comments and show are not fit for broadcast, and executives at Time Warner and TBS must demonstrate that such explicit profanity about female members of the administration will not be condoned on its network. Oh, fuck yourself! You stand up there every goddamn day and blatantly lie about the spiraling atrocity committed by a fucking criminal administration actively engaged in acts that would make a third world dictator blush, and you have the audacity to complain about words used to describe the enabler of the acts? There are not enough profanities in the world to describe the level of hypocrisy of this particular fucking situation. And, oh, let's not forget the shit-drooling, crusted cumsock currently raw-dogging the nation's unlubed and unwilling asshole-in-chief, who plaintively sharded into the tweet machines, Why aren't they firing no talent Samantha B for horrible language used on her low-rating show? A total double standard. But that's okay. We are winning, and we'll be doing so for a long time to come. Oh, oh, yes, you are winning. You're winning, you flaccid old man cock pressed against the unwilling window of America. You are winning the coveted fabulous fuck state award for the worst happen thing to happen in America in decades. Do you have to use so many cuss words? Oh, I really think I do. Come July, we had a very short and very silly second civil war. Martha. If the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they loved, I shall always be near you, my favorite wafu pillow. Random neo-Nazi. We learned about QAnon, the very stupid and eventually very dangerous moronic conspiracy theory of the year, and we dissed feelings of shame as compensation for some very sexy, shady sexual liaisons I'd been having with a mature woman out in Long Island, and focused on the spy who shagged the GOP, Maria Butina. And that brings me to Maria Butina, the latest femme fatale to lure pure-blooded American boys into sin and betrayal with her Russian wiles, which, uh, based on the reports I'm seeing, were not... Uh, Exactly wily. From what I could tell, she basically walked up to Republicans, and Republicans took one look at her and said, Look, Ali, just tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. She didn't need to so much convince them to betray America as just let them do what they were already doing. Because conservatives, and this is important for the story I'm trying to tell this week, are very, very dumb. Who is Maria Butina? Super spy. <laughs> <laughs> Hardly. Maria Butina is a 29-year-old Russian woman, possibly from Siberia. From Siberia the way that Ted Cruz is from Texas. You know, just some shit you say to make you sound authentic. Her true history is murky, but sometime around 2010, she appeared in Moscow and quickly started a guns rights organization in Russia. Russia does not have an equivalent to the Second Amendment, forcing Russians to find other more difficult and tedious ways to kill one another, like, oh, nerve agents and chronic alcoholism. Miss Butina supposedly started the group to build up a grassroots movement called the Right to Bear Arms, which is just a wasted opportunity to make a great pun. She should have named the group the Right to Arm Bears. <laughs> You know, because Russians and bears and... Fine, never mind. Anyway, the supposed premise of the group was to gain increased gun ownership rights in Russia. And it certainly sounds suspicious. Somewhere along the way, Butina connected with a Russian oligarch by the name of Oleg Torshin. 
a guy who is so closely connected to Vladimir Putin, the two of them might as well be leading the resistance on Mars. Now, open your mind to me. Torshin, who also pretends to be very invested in guns rights, took a real shine to Bettina and hired her as his special assistant. It's not exactly clear what Bettina assisted Torshin with, but uh, chances are it wasn't because she was very good at math. Okay, you see that? That right there, that is sexist. Oh, come on. She's banging an ugly bald guy to stay in the United States so she can spy. Show me where I'm wrong. Since her arrival in the U.S., Butina has been the Lin-Manuel Miranda play of GOP politics for the past few years. No one knows how much she was involved, but she was definitely... This is but a short list of the Gunnerati who Butina rubbed shoulders and other things with over the past few years. California Representative Dana Rohrbacher who literally has to spit out a pair of Russian balls before he can speak. Don't talk with your mouth full. Wisconsin Governor and low-budget Paul Ryan Scott Walker, lower-budget Trump Don Jr. had had dinner with Miss Butina, the fucking National Security Advisor and low-budget walrus impersonator John fucking Bolton did a video with and for Butina back in 2013. Former Louisiana Governor and permanent disgrace Bobby Jindal and the froth of mix frothy mix of semen, lube, and fecal matter Rick Santorum. <laughs> Pose for photos with her. She even managed to ask a question of the Trump himself back when he was just a joke candidate. My question will be about foreign politics. Okay. If you would be elected as a president, what will be your foreign politics, especially in the relationships with my country? And do you want to continue the politics of sanctions that are damaging of both economy, or you have any other ideas? I know Putin. And I'll tell you what, we get along with Putin. Putin has no respect for President Obama. Big problem. Who just this month pled guilty and is presumably spilling her guts to Robert Mueller like all the others involved with Trump and the GOP are destined to eventually. Here's hoping by the time we do 2019's re recap, Don Jr. will have been in jail for at least six months. August gave us Paul Manafort's flip and the Omarosa tapes, a scandal that lasted about one Scaramucci before they were gone. But boy, they sure seemed important at that time. Wow. That seemed to happen a lot in 2018. Things that we thought were really important turned out we forgot about a week later. Which is why I focused in August on the one of the most delightful stories of 2018. Bigfoot. Oh, fuck. Does it matter why Bigfoot was in the news? It was a political thing. It really doesn't matter. What matters is I coined a word that still hasn't take off, taken off yet, but I will, I believe, will in the future. Sex squatching. The act of fornicating with a Bigfoot. With the advent of the internet, sex squatching, which is a thing I have coined as a word for the act of fucking a Bigfoot, and let me be clear on this, Google returned no search results for sex squatching, and I have also, as of this writing, tweeted and posted this term publicly out there on social media, so don't even think of trying to claim it as your own. Why would I want to do this? Because you can i don't know never mind naturally your intrepid podcast host has some questions about how exactly sex squatching works and i suppose my first question is about consent as it should be whenever adults or even middle-aged man children discuss sex can a bigfoot consent to sex it's a tricky question as one needs to decide whether or not a bigfoot is an animal or a sentient being in and of itself. In a country where we seem to have tremendous difficulty with the idea that actual human women are sentient beings in and of themselves, wrestling with the sentience and consent of an imaginary cryptid seems to me to be doubly complicated. So what I did was I queried the Google machine on the, in on the issue of Bigfoot sentience, and according to the website, TomSquatch.com, quote, the Sasquatch are nothing less than the super sentient, super sophisticated beings that we would have become if we had not taken the other fork in the road towards technology, 
materialism, resource extraction, and industrialization, unquote. So based on this unimpeachable source, based on TomSquatch.com alone, I will say that yes, a Bigfoot can consent to sex with a human being. Next, assuming you as a human also consent to sex squatching. And this is another loaded topic. Is some of the Bigfoot erotica criticism I read? Yes, of course. There is Bigfoot erotica criticism. That is what... Dude, that's what the internet is. Many of the stories, particularly the early stories, are considered, quote, kinda rapey, unquote. I'm just going to move past it. You can't fixate on that. So in a consensual context... What would fucking a Bigfoot conceivably be like? So we can safely conclude that fucking a Bigfoot is just like fucking a human. Whatever you want it to be like, except with far more hair. So I guess in that sense, it's probably a lot like fucking a very tall Ron Jeremy. This is also making some very large assumptions about the size of a Squatch cock. What about this mythical member? Now, the drawings from Riggleman's Instagram. Also, dude, take some advice from the Youngs and get yourself a Finsta or a Rinsta. I don't know what the fuck things are, but get yourself a fake account. But still, about the Bigfoot cock, Riggleman portrayed it as a huge member, as does most Bigfoot erotica, because why wouldn't you want to? No one wants to be ravaged by a big, hairy dude with a tiny schlong. If that's something you're into, I can just introduce you to Gavin. What the fuck are you talking about, Dave? We've all heard the stories, Gavin. All of us. September brought us Brett Kavanaugh. Remember Brett Kavanaugh? He's on the Supreme Court now. Remember how much he likes beer and likes sexual assault? No, of course you don't. No one remembers these things because 2018. Also, here's something I'm sure you remember. Old Mushroom Dick. A memory that, frankly... It will never leave my brain. So, in order to counteract all this, because I got really fucking tired of the never-ending grind of awful political news leading up to the midterms, I embraced sports. Specifically, a sport that commoditized the bodies of black men for the enrichment of old white men through repeated head trauma turning some of them into violent monsters. I became a football fan. So now I'm a football fan. For all of about 20 seconds. And now that I've been a fan for that long, I feel like I'm entitled to make some suggestions. Not to the Browns. You guys are perfect. Don't change a thing. I don't know if it's possible to tie 16 games in one season. But if you want to give it that old college, I don't know, professional try, I'm behind you guys. No, my suggestions are about the game of football in general. Some things I feel will improve the experience for me, a fan. First of all, the games are really, really long. I mean, you put 15 minutes on a clock every quarter, and the quarter lasts at least twice that long if we're lucky. When I put 15 minutes on a clock, I don't get to stop it and then go off and do other shit without the clock still running. Try that shit when you're taking your SAT and see what they say. All of these little group chats y'all have before every play, do that on your time, not mine. I'm willing to give you your little rest breaks. I get the game is tiring, but the damn thing's gonna stop every six minutes for a beer commercial anyway have your chats get yourself a cup of gatorade and have a breather during the time we're already wasting with a talking lizard trying to sell me car insurance on a car i don't even own second who do these ref guys think they're fooling with their little yellow flags we're watching the thing from 67 cameras in high dev with a god's eye view of the field and we can't see what the fuck they just did you expect me to believe that some dude standing 20 feet away has fucking x-ray vision to spot some shit through a thousand pounds of man flesh on the move man get the fuck out of here man you didn't see shit pick up your little flag and go back to the sidelines because we all know the only thing you're looking at is how not to get run over by some giant dude at a full fucking sprint the only people that can call a penalty are the guys looking at the cameras and if a player thinks they were fouled they can raise their fucking finger and point the other one like a third grader pointing out who farted in class next seems to be like a lot of these guys are getting hurt Sometimes pretty badly, and that doesn't seem right to me. Sure, a few a few of you are earning millions of dollars a year, but the dudes that seem to get hurt the most aren't the stars, 
the white guys, all the black guys seem to be protecting so hard. It's the black guys doing all the hitting that seem to get fucked up. And that, that, they ain't making the big money. They're making more money than me, sure, but not enough to have my brain stirred like a frog in a blender a couple of times, a couple of dozen times a day, every day, for half a year, not counting camp. Can't y'all get some, like, flag dangly things we use when the cheerleaders would play against each other in what that one week in high school during homecoming seems to me like a lot fewer of you guys would get hurt and then maybe you wouldn't beat the shit out of other people off the field because your brain is bad think of how happy those nfl wives and girlfriends would be if we could just stop hurting each other so much in october we started strong and talked about blaming booze for your being an asshole which you can't, because the booze didn't make you an asshole, you already were one. Then, I tried to do a Halloween episode, but for some reason, some asshole in a MAGA van spiked that plan. But really, I think I did my happiest show of the year, the one that I feel brought me the most peace, because once I'd finished it, I realized that there was no hope, the world was doomed, but that was okay, because I would be dead when it happened. You guys freaking out yet? Because if you're not... Allow me to summarize a live science article from 2008. By 2020, flash flooding will dramatically increase in Europe and the U.S. In some areas, lack of rainfall will reduce crops by 50%, causing famine. By 2023, diarrhea-related diseases will spike in the poorest nations. 18% of the coral reefs will be dead. World population is at one or is at 8.3 billion and rising. Mountaintop glaciers and equatorial areas will be gone. Urban populations in developing nations double as people flee to cities to find work and food. And the ice in the Arctic will be gone completely completely over the summer. By 2050, alpine glaciers around the world disappear, starting with the smallest and working up. The coral reefs, they're gone. 400 bird species extinct. Heat-related deaths spike in the warmer climates and even temperate cities exponentially. Crop yields in Asia and Southeast Asia drop by 20 to 30 percent. The world population will hit 9.4 billion, with resources continuing to shrink at a quarter of the world species now face extinction. By 27 to by 2070, as the glaciers disappear, hydroelectric power starts to fail up to 50% in some areas. Drought and fires are endemic everywhere. By 2080, sea levels are now flooding arable food producing lands and coastal cities. By that time, coastal populations in the areas under greatest threat could hit as high as 5 billion. 1.3 billion people will face, ironically enough, water shortages, and an estimated 600 million of them will go hungry every day. Also, by 2080, New York City will be three feet underwater. By 2085, tropical diseases spike with 3.5 billion people at risk of dengue fever alone, not to mention other tropical diseases spread into areas where people have limited or no immunity. By 2100, things get really fun. Runaway melt hits the permafrost, spikes the CO2 levels to the highest numbers in 650,000 years. 30% of all species in the world will be extinct. The climate zones we know and love are now moving north and south as the temperate belt shifts towards the pole to lands ill-suited to agriculture, and the oceans are now so acidic and overfished they can no longer support the human population. Most of the southern United States and Mexico are more or less a permanent dust bowl for prolonged repeated droughts. Forces are burning more or less constantly, and the population is now under permanent threat of famine and disease. And these are just the predictable climate-related impacts. The social, economic, and political impacts are not nearly as predictable, though anyone who's ever seen a Mad Max movie has a pretty fucking good idea. I mean, when you think about it, chances are, long before the worst-case scenario for climate change hits, the temperature would drop rapidly, really rapidly, because nuclear fallout and ash in the atmosphere would cause a nuclear winter, which admittedly is also, uh, you know, not that great for humanity. Yeah. Well, that's an understatement. Don't worry. Be happy. In November, we did you a lovely Thanksgiving special we called the Yam Fricato, which made me weep. We talked about a Christian missionary who got his ass killed trying to bring Jesus to people who did not want Jesus. And we kicked ass in the midterms like Lane Meyer on the K-12. Thus as truly a sublime metamorphosis of the Lane Meyer. I think the crowds were expecting to see here at Brody Mountain today. Perhaps you can tell us what. What brought on such an enchanting, accelerating fate? 
Language lessons. Language lessons. Inspired words from a man who knows how to skate. It wasn't quite the international proletariat rising up and taking control of the means of production, but it was still pretty fucking good for me. But at the same time, as this was going on, thousands of U.S. troops were learning the hardest lesson of all, admittedly in the easiest way possible, that they were the game, they were the pawns in a game of life and politics. The only reason I'm talking about all of this now is how pissed off I am over the way the troops are being shit on. Last Sunday was Veterans Day, the one day a year we set aside to honor the men and women who served in the U.S. Armed Forces, except, admittedly, every goddamn football game they play in the NFL these days. But this fucker couldn't even take the time to visit Arlington on Veterans Day like every president since Kennedy because he was too busy pouting. I mean, I get his lame ass not fucking going out in France because if his hair gets wet, everyone in the world is going to see like Donald Trump looks like Uncle Fester with a mop stapled to the back of his head when it falls apart from the moisture, and no one wants to see that. But he could have at least pretended here in the States. He doesn't because like everything else, he doesn't give a fuck about the military except it's a cheap way to make his tiny dingle tingle and they are being used like a presidential fleshlight, and that's a shitty way to treat people who served in the armed forces. Everyone, when they put on the uniform, gives up a lot. Some of them give up their lives, and in exchange, they trust their government will not waste their sacrifice on bullshit missions. Then, if they are lucky, after they get fucked over the first time, they learn that their government will absolutely waste their time, expertise, and yes, their lives on whatever bullshit mission crosses some fucker's tiny mind in the Pentagon. Once you leave the lowest levels of command, the platoon or the squadron, the people involved lose all semblance of humanity, and they just become numbers on a spreadsheet that need to be moved from point A to point B so they can chuck off a fucking form answer to some absurd request issued by a faithless and thoughtless entity we call the United States government. Once you move from a frontline command, you're not deploying people, you're just deploying uniforms. That happen to be occupied by people. And uniforms have no feelings. They have no needs or families. Uniforms don't care if they're wet and cold or eating shit food for weeks on end. Uniforms don't bitch about not having a mission to complete or spending endless hours hanging around doing nothing and having nothing to do for the foreseeable future. Uniforms don't even care if they're shot full of holes, burnt down or blown up. So long as you're moving uniforms around, you don't need to care about the meat that moves them. And that is how we are able to waste valuable people in bullshit jobs all to aggrandize the ego of a dickhead. And if the meat mover in the uniform is lucky, their worst day will be on the back of a shit truck Listen to Jose Feliciano sing the same song over and over again. Feliz Navidad Feliz Navidad Feliz Navidad before they realize they've had enough of this bullshit and they get the fuck out. And if they're not lucky, they come home in a bag and we put them in a fucking hole in the ground all to aggrandize the ego of a dickhead. Which brings us to the close of 2018. I guess I could play you a clip from one of the three shows we've done this myth, but why bother? I mean, presumably you've just heard them. Except for you, CJ, not forgiving this, not easily. No loyal listener card for you. I am not one for using the end of the year and the birth of the new one as some great metaphor. It's a meaningless number on a pointless chart marking the progress of an insignificant planet orbiting a perfectly mundane stars on one of the outer spiral arms of an unremarkable galaxy. Science estimates the universe is 13.7 billion years old. And this particular North point in the solar orbit for this planet has passed four and a half billion times. Humanity as a species has existed for an infinitesimal 200,000 of those orbits, a fleeting instance in the long stretch before and the long stretch after. To think that a single day or even a year is remarkable is kind of silly. Yet every year at this time, we imbue this transition with our hopes and aspirations that somehow next year will be better, that we will be better. And for most of us, if we're lucky, the next year will be pretty much the same. Some of us will die. 
Some of us will have children. Some will know happiness, others grief. They will know wealth or poverty, peace and war. And a year from now, those of us who survived will sit and list our hopes for the next year. It's a ritual. Unlike most rituals, it's completely fucking meaningless. And yet somehow strangely comforting. And let me say this. It's okay to take that comfort, to embrace hope, and not think about the utter insignificance of all of this. Because when you do that, you will not end up a bitter drunk guy sitting in a trailer on a used car lot in Howard Beach, Queens, recording a fake radio show for a couple of dozen people. You need many years of therapy. So that's it for our show this week and this year. 2018, the year that lasted a decade. If you think this year was bad, 2019 shows all the signs of being somehow worse. And then there's the election. Oh, yeah, we've got so much to look forward to. Whatever happens, we will be here making this dumb show just the same as we have 192 weeks over four orbits in the past, making dick jokes, laughing at farts, and coming up with amusing ways to call the president a dipshit. So thank you for taking this mundane journey on a banal podcast, and here's hoping that 2019 finds you in the not dead, not, you know, poor, or not grieving category, or definitely, definitely doesn't find you alone in a car lot in Queens, side of chance. So for me, Dave Bledsoe, and all the fictional functionaries who turn out this low-rated podcast, Happy New Year, blessings on you all, and we'll see you all next year. for this so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.